Hello, it's time for episode three of the Pink Podcast, where we're focusing on first theatre memories. I'm your host, Chloe Nelkin, and I'm chatting to the utterly amazing Sue Pollard and Alexis Gregory. There can be no doubt that Sue Pollard is a national treasure. Perhaps most famous for her role in the sitcom Heidi High, she has also appeared in numerous stage plays and pantomimes, and as a singer, had a UK number two hit with the song Starting Together in 1986. I first got to know Sue when CNC were working with her on the amazing play Harpy at the Edinburgh Fringe and then on its UK tour. Recently, we've seen Sue on our screens in BBC Two's Pilgrimage, and over Christmas, she was performing in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at Bournemouth Pavilion Theatre. Alexis is a playwright, performer, director and producer whose work mostly explores LGBTQ themes. He gigs and presents his work at venues as varied as the Southbank Centre, National Theatre, Science Museum, Waterstones and the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Running throughout LGBTQ Plus History Month this February, Alexis is presenting Future Queer at the King's Head Theatre in their new cabaret space. A subversive look at an imagined queer future all set around the iconic Donna Summer queer anthem, I Feel Love. Let's chat about theatre memories and what theatre means to us. For many of us, I think that theatre feels part of our lifeblood and something that we developed a love for at an early age, and it seems to have a powerful and lasting effect. So what is your first theatre memory? My first one is actually, it wasn't at a theatre, to be honest, but I mean, I will get to that. I won't waffle, but I first got interested at school and I was in the nativity. We've all been in nativity or something, haven't we? Anyway, and there I was and I had to stand on this plinth and say, oh, fear not, Mary, the angel Gabriel is coming and I'm just here as a messenger. Anyway, the teacher hadn't sort of, she hadn't sort of secured the box. It was only a blooming cardboard box and there wasn't enough of sellotape on it so I put my foot went through the <laughs> lid well I mean that was a great start but everybody everybody was laughing and I thought oh I quite like this you know I think they were trying to laugh with me because you know what it's like and then I thought yeah this is for me and then I joined the Amdrams the Co-op Arts Theatre actually because it was and it was funded by the Cooperative Society and then I went to a pantomime and I was just so engrossed and they, they kept saying can anybody shout something out that they can we can say backwards? Because they were doing this. And I said, yeah, put my hand up. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> and the man went clear off. But it was just funny, you know, that kind of thing. What was yours? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm similar. I loved acting at school. Mm. So I went to just a regular comprehensive school. But I remember Christmas plays mm. and how desperate I was to be in them. I remember we did Pinocchio and I really wanted to be Pinocchio. And they cast another boy. And then he got ill. And I got to play the role in rehearsals. But then just the day before rehearsal, he came back to school. And I remember walking into the class and I was furious. Not fair. <laughs> I was really angry. And, but then they let us both do one performance each oh, so that our mums fair. could see it. But I saw Pantos when I was young. I think mm. for lots of people or kids, Panto is the first 
time you go to a theatre. Yeah. And I remember and seeing the Muppets on Ice as well. Oh, There's that class of theatre. Definitely. <laughs> oh, it does. But you know what? It's always unbelievable, though, isn't it? That, you know, they say for most people, it, it is the panto that is the experience of it. But I, I also really like it because you pay, but you don't have to pay to sit there in awed silence like in a play or, you know, a Shakespeare you can shout at the body and the thing, can't you? And, and I just think that's terrific, actually. You know, you pay, mind you, you don't pay 10 and 6 now, do you? I mean, it's, it's moved like, on a bit. M- more like flipping it, but I don't think you can beat theatre. What do you think? I am a huge theatre fan, mm. working in theatre. You know, it sounds very corny, but I've just kind of dedicated my life to it in a way as an artist. That sounds very cheesy, no, it doesn't. I totally agree with you because to anybody out there that doesn't realise that you can, if you're fortunate enough, and by that I mean, you know, you've um, learning your craft still, you've managed to gain a bit of a reputation in whatever field you're in kind of thing. But it's sustaining that. It's the discipline. It's the really still working at your craft and not believing your own publicity. So if you want lo- longevity... You've got to hope that you can communicate with your audience, whether it's TV or theatre, and then hopefully to sort of relay that to them that, no, you're not just on a jolly and you've got to be reliable as much as talent. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah. So what's yeah. the secret to longevity? Because you've been doing this for so long. Well, I know. I think, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. I mean, it's t- no, I think you just try and you keep the persona you've always had. You know, people can see through somebody. What, yes. If they, if they, even, even if they're a CEO. It is very difficult to keep changing your personas. You've got to be, what do you call that? Really is the real you. You can't yeah, keep true reinventing. True to yourself. That's it. Yes, I'm sure that's it because, and then people know what they're going to get as well. Well, I think you're right. People know when something is fake or when it's put on. Obviously, we're talking about theatre, which is all very fake Uh, in terms of, you know, what you see on stage is not real. But people and audiences know when you're really trying to pull the wool over their eyes and you can't. They know. Yeah, they they know if something's authentic, don't they? Yeah. I think so. I mean, obviously, when you meet people in particular in the street, for example, I'm not one of these people that wants to put me peak cap down, going, oh, no, don't talk to me. No, I think, you know, you've got to be accessible as much as you can. But certainly you can tell if somebody's going to keep you forever and then and just want to say hello. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's that sort of thing. But I think people notice that. And people have said to me, thank you so much, for example, for sending that birthday card to my mother. Right. Even 20 years on, you see, they remember if you've hopefully been approachable. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And like you say, it's a long journey, isn't it? And how do you pace yourself? How do you keep going? How do you keep staying interested and interesting and yes yeah you have to work for longevity as well oh I think you're right but talking of which day you know sometimes when you go and perform at a theatre and your dressing rooms downstairs it's 22 steps up to the stage well that's what you want you need you need to still be as fit as anything for that don't you I think you have to be fit I always say when you're like about to do a show it's almost like being an athlete mm. okay you're not running a marathon but you have to be, I know we're going to talk about being mentally prepared, but physically prepared and be healthy and yeah. all these things. It's 
Yeah. It's really a slog. But it is slightly like a marathon if you've got yeah. a huge run of shows. You have yeah. to pace yourself so that you keep fit until the end, don't you? Well, it's like you as well doing all your work and that that you do. You have to find out what your material is that you're dealing with, you know, and you've probably got to devote time to it. It's not just, um, oh, I've five minutes or do on Thursday afternoon. I don't think people know the work that goes behind the scenes, but that's okay. No. None of us know the work behind the scenes in other industries. No. But, yeah, hopefully we'll all work hard and... Uh, we try. Yes. Let's jump back, Sue, to something you said when you spoke about that feeling of when the audience were laughing, whether they were laughing with you or as encouragement, but you loved that feeling. So was it that first feeling while you're at school and you got the laughter that encouraged you to be a performer? Oh, I would definitely say so. Also, you see, they always, a lot of the time over the years, you speak to comics, say, for example, somebody like Peter Kay, who I really like, he'll say he was always like the clown of the classroom or something. But perhaps it was his natural ability. I think if you've got that as well, you can't beat that fabulous feeling, actually, of knowing that you've given somebody a laugh. You just never know. It's not all about you. It's about them receiving from yeah, you. Yeah. Would you agree? I, I love comedy. So, like, in the shows that I write and perform, almost all of them are comedies, even if they're quite dark, outrageous mm -hmm. ones. And I love making people laugh. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I love it. There's nothing, you can't beat it. You can't, like you say, it's an exchange. You can't beat that rapport with the audience. No, and the great thing is, and you go, right, well, hopefully, if you laughed at that, you wait till what's coming up. You know, and then you think, oh, I hope that if they like that, let's just hope that they... But it's like you were saying, though, Lex... I quite like calling you Lex. That's good, yeah. Because you sound like a, an American hip-hop person that you might meet in a cafe. Hi, I'm Lex. Uh, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Lexi, I like it. Lex 11. And um, <laughs> I just like that because uh, it, it's nice. And over the years, you can then find a way of honing, like, for example, you get a script, don't you, you go, no, that's overwritten. The rhythm's not good there. If I take that out and replace it with perhaps this word or another two words, the rhythm flows better. Mm. Would you agree? Things yeah, like do that. Do they ever mind when you do that or are they quite open to you having a little tweak? I know sometimes, but Heidi High, they weren't. Oh. Or David Croft and Jimmy Perry. They're two, like, writing icons in right. my view. They, well, you see, they wrote for eight hours a day. So they had the rhythm, you see, and they'd go, no, 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 no. Uh, try not to order that. I don't mind you sticking in a hidey high in there if it, if it was for the character. But they said, no, we wrote that because we know how each person is going to say their lines. So therefore, each other's lines within the characters, they write in such a way that the character can bounce off the other character's way of saying stuff. They were absolutely superbly because they never wrote anything that was adored. No, and it worked. Yeah, I have to. I was obsessed with Heidi High when I was a child. Oh, so you were like my childhood hero. Oh, I bless made you. I made a Heidi High scrapbook. Oh, how fabulous! Yeah, I don't know where it is now. Oh, I say you should have been bringing oh, that with. Yes, I know. I know. I would have had to really go back over a large number of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, you, you. That was. I loved it. Oh, I you were so, great in it. I was so lucky. Down. We're all lucky to have those fantastic characters. But I've got to tell you, talking about Hardy, the then Prince Charles came to the studio, the BBC Studios, right, and he wanted his Blue Peter badge. So we were in another studio doing that night's performance. We knew he was coming, so we all stood outside our dressing rooms and said, hello, your highness. And he said, oh, yes, he said, I remember it's the Heedy Hall. I said, no, 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 your highness. I said, that's not good. You've got it totally wrong. I said, well, you've got, you know, the Heedy Hall. He said, oh, well, that's what mummy calls it. 
That's hilarious. And it's hilarious, isn't it? But oh, it's funny. Have you ever met any of them? No, I've never met one of the royal. Although this is really embarrassing, and I never say this. My first ever professional job, I was a child actor, was playing the young Prince Charles <gasps> in an American TV movie. No. This is before The Crown. Right. Way before The Crown. Right. And it was just one day's work. And I had to go to Pinewood Studios because they have a stately house there. I yes. been there in years. Yeah, and that do. doubled as Buckingham Palace. I thought it was the most exciting thing ever. But I was also quite embarrassed as being cast as Prince Charles. When you're a teenager, you don't want to really want to be likened. It wasn't no, the coolest I know what you mean. But you know who you look like now? Oh, if where's I, this going to go? No, no, it's going to go fabulously. <laughs> you look like Prince Harry. Oh, I'll take that. I mean, no one's ever said... But isn't that funny then that I got cast yes. as Prince... No one said that, but yeah. he's losing his hair. I choose to shave mine, but yeah. that's a whole other story. But it suits you anyway. Is it? Oh, thank you. I like I it. I did it today. <laughs> so tell us how you got into theatre. So you ended up playing this role because yeah. somebody else was ill. Was that what sparked the love of it or what I, made you want to write? Honestly, from being a child. So I was good at certain things at school, like writing stories. I was never a sporty kid. I loved acting and I loved putting on shows in my school and I managed to find an acting class that my mum used to take me to and then I got an agent when I was 15. And it took a couple of years to even find the agent and the acting school because it was a while ago and young kids weren't as savvy about that as they are now. And then I started acting with the agent, doing little guest roles in TV and commercials and stuff like that. But I hadn't done any professional theatre, you know, as I was growing up. And that was something I got into later and I was in my early 20s and I thought, I really want to try theatre. And I basically worked my way up from the bottom. I started doing rehearsed readings and doing one day here and there. And I loved it. And then theatre really took over. And you got the bug. Mm. Yeah. And tell us about the show that you've got on at the moment then that's just opened. Oh. Yes. So this show is called Future Queer at the King's Head Theatre, the new building in the cabaret space. And it's part stand-up comedy, as we <laughs> were saying. We love doing comedy. It's part theatre. It's part TED Talk, part lecture, part spoken word performance, and it's about being LGBTQ plus in the year 2071. Crikey. Yeah. how amazing would that be? Have you had to do any kind of research yourself on this to think which way things are going to yes. go so you can get it as accurate as you can? Yeah. Well, the whole show is about the research. So the show is about me putting this show together. And I say to everyone, OK, I decided to do this show. I had the date booked, but there was no script. So the audience go on the journey with me of research mm. and we go into the past, we go into the present it's bonkers. It's probably the most bonkers show I've done, oh, but we well, need I'm a going. bit of that. Great. Oh, yes. I should be whistling and hollering. Please I'm do. A very, I never interrupt, but I'm a very good audience in encouragement. And, you're, no, you people know. have said that about you to me, Sue. They've said that when you're there, you get the party going. Oh, do they? Yeah, oh, I've heard that. Oh, that's good because yeah. I didn't say, come on then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Everybody. need that. We need some. We, every, every audience needs a Sue. Yes, I think so, because it's like going back to what we said earlier, people don't, and they don't necessarily need to know about what goes into a performance yeah. and how you rehearse and you try and, you know, you get the classic sketch pad by your bed with a pencil or something that never works because the nibs are gone, <laughs> so your ideas are never written down. But do you know what I'm saying? So they, they don't want to know that, but it's lovely to imagine that when you go there, they've enjoyed what... 
you've prepared for them. So I do think it's lovely to get the audience support. Yeah, I do. We were doing it for the audience, aren't we? It's a mm. conversation. I always feel when I go to see a play or a show, I'm hoping that there's going to be magic coming my way, mm. whether it's moving, funny, entertaining, it takes me somewhere else. And that's what I'm always trying to do with my work. Mm. And I think as audience members and as people who work in theatre, we go into that space hoping for magic and praying that, and it's all the different ingredients. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. We all go in with good faith, hoping it's going to be the one that's in terms of watching the show and making the show. Yeah, that takes us on, as you say, that journey, yeah. that magic. Mm. So let's pick up then on the idea of magic and that concept of being absolutely spellbound and leaving the theatre speechless and feeling you've been truly blown away. So maybe let's think again about memories. So we spoke about first theatre memories, mm. but is there a production that you've seen that you have witnessed that magic on stage that's taken you to a place far away from everyday life? Well, funny enough, my magic thing is absolutely magic. Mm. It was Penn and Teller. You know, they're fantastic. You know, the American. I mean, what about, now, is it Teller? He does the talking. Or is it the other one? Because the other one's like mute. It's amazing. And I thought to myself, all he has to do is nod. It doesn't seem very much of a share factor, does it? You know, (laughs) this poor bloke's having to. But it was just so fabulous. And it was so close, his particular magic. They were going around as well. Well, you know what it is. And they put the cigarette in the coin, like a one dollar, you know, a, a coin or whatever. I just couldn't figure it at all. But I was blown away and I kept saying, excuse me, but how did you do that? And how long did you have to work on that? And it was almost like, and they said, oh, we can't do this. He said, you know, we can't, you know, so don't, don't try and, you know, force us to say, oh, but they were fabulous. They had the charm. And it was an hour of bliss, I think. Wow. What did you get? Have you been in one? I mean, I don't mean a magic show. That's something that you've seen. <sighs> you know, like. um, I remember like reading a lot of plays that really struck with me. And I had to kind of wait a long time to see them because I'd missed them the first time round. So when I started writing or when I was a teenager, I'd read things like Angels in America, some of the Mark Ravenhill plays. They made a huge influence on me. But I didn't get to see Angels in America until it was on at the Lyric Hammersmith about 15 years ago. And of course, I saw it at the National Theatre a few years ago. But that was something that I used to reread it every time I started writing a new play to get inspiration. And I got to meet Tony Kushner at the National Theatre because we saw it on the first day where they did the two performances in the same day. And my friend made me go and speak to him. I was very nervous, but he was very charming. Oh, how fabulous. You see, that's a case in point. You want and you hope the people that you really liked will be, pleasure to meet you, or something like that. But funnily enough, Angels in America, my friend Rita, has just done it at Radar. Oh, yes, they just did it a couple of weeks ago. they did. Yes, he directed it. Oh, I see. I heard it was very good and I wanted to go. You would be amazing playing the mum, Sue. Oh. Yeah. Next round. Have you noticed... The mum. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the days of 19-year-old miniskirts are bloody well, gone. I wanted to play Lewis, and now I'm too old for that. Yeah. So I'm hoping for Ray Cohen, which I'm luckily still too young for. But Oh, so, great. Yeah, Roy Cohen, excuse me. That's who I'd like to play. But Well, fantastic. Well, you it, never know, darling, because at least, it, you know, you're keeping your options open, we'll aren't you? do it together. Hey, that would be good. Rita could direct us again, but maybe not at Radar. For I've those heard that who don't know, Rada, I'll get a producer in here for you both. Yeah. We're planning yeah. the season. Hey, We're going to hire you too, Chloe. Uh, great, Please help you. us. I tell you as well, <laughs> I saw that was really magical. Paul and Bess oh. 
It might have been at the Savoy, directed by Trevor Nunn. Mm. Oh, they had the steamboat and it worked. Obviously, they just had Magic. the rudders and all that kind of thing. And of course, they took us backstage and everything. And uh, it was really fabulous. Everything seemed to gel. Man, I suppose with him it would, because mm. he's really good, isn't he, Trev? Yeah. Ah, Trev. <laughs> well, I just saw, about a year ago, at the National, Lynette... Linton directed a play and I'm really struggling to remember the name of it but it was amazing and I got a 20 quid ticket and I sat in the third row and it was like watching an Arthur Miller piece I mean this play was probably written in the 1990s anything Lynette directs I go to see and it was so fantastic and towards the end I nearly almost cried, not because of what was happening on stage, although that was very moving, but the fact that it was so good. And the, the way, well, the play's not on now, so it's, I can't give spoilers, but one actor got shot on stage. And obviously that's very hard to do on stage. But the way it was done, it was theatrical. It was magic. And it was a slow build. So at the end of the three and a half hours over two acts, I was in Harlem. Oh, how fabulous. And it was amazing. Well, do you remember, though, Chloe was saying... Well, she said, um, I won't mention a you know, specific thing, but um, she's either going to see something or has been. Well, darling, two hours, 50 minutes. I mean, I think that's asking a lot. And you were saying, well, I think an hour straight through to me. I love an hour straight through or oh, 70 perfect. minutes. Yeah, that does really yeah. well. I mean, I could yeah. do 20 minutes straight through, but I think for other people, they want a bit more for their money. Yeah. But if it is a two-hour play like Lynette's, that blew me away. Oh. But that shows that it's a sign of the quality to yes. keep someone engrossed for three, three plus hours. Yeah. It yeah. has to be so incredible. You have to have that magic. Yeah. Yes. So that shows. And again, Angels in America, that day when we saw the first two performances in the same day, that was eight hours in total. Obviously, intervals, breaks. Interestingly, I heard that was the day I met Tony Kushner. He was there taking notes. And I don't think there were notes for the director or the actors. I think it was on his script. So even we talk about we're never finished learning and the process. 30 years later, this iconic play, he's still tweaking. Always evolving. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, look at the late lamented Dame Edna, the character. Mm. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to see the, the BBC once and we just got chatting in the canteen when it was there's the canteen, you know, the iconic place, the actor and studios and all that, which, of course, now uh, they're flats, aren't they? And he was marvellous. He said, when I create my characters, dear, I still look back at them and I can still see some of my old, like, scripts on TV. And she says, I immediately go and, you know, redo it because it, I, I've thought of something better. Right. So it's just like what you were saying about Tony Kushner. Yeah. So you see, you're right, you never stop. The greats are still tweaking it. and But so, you know, it's, you're talking about rhythm. You didn't do the Day Medna accent, but you had the rhythm. Oh, did you I? You had the rhythm of oh, Day Medna. You, oh, you know, great. the rhythm of comedy. Oh, well done then. It's a good one. I think she'd, she'd probably put us together on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I know yeah. what she looked like. I just thought Someone Bruce else. Willis without the beard. Oh, Bruce I'll take Willis. Bruce Willis. He's blooming gorgeous. I'll tell you that, but I, always, I never tell anyone who I think they look like because sometimes people get really upset. But <laughs> it you can go Bruce the wrong Willis, way, can't it? It can really go the wrong way. I've learned that the yeah. hard way. Yeah. But I'll take Bruce Willis. Great. 
Definitely. Bruce Good Willis lookalike. It's his next job. Anything. Yeah. I'm weddings, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs. Yeah. I'm Alexis available. Is available. <laughs> we digress. Yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Let, that idea of meeting somebody that you admire is quite nice. And I think there are probably lots of people in the industry that we admire. So is there anybody in terms of performers that you look up to or someone famous that you think is amazing who you've had the opportunity to see on stage? What do you I mean, think, Sue, Lex? you're famous. What? Yeah, but no, go on. There must be somebody, well, probably even half a dozen or even only just two people. Well, you were talking about when you meet people you admire, Sue, and I've met a lot of people I admire. And I have to say, they've all been fantastic. Oh. And people say, oh, never meet your heroes. But I'm like, well, if you choose your heroes correctly, they won't disappoint you. Yeah, that's Choose the right ones. Well done. That is absolutely excellent. And it's very true. And that was very thoughtful that you said that because mm. you thought about that as mm. well. I mean, there are so many people you might admire because you like their body language or you like the way they perform or the way they... Or, but mostly, I admire anybody that has or is still learning their craft. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we can all say, oh, so-and-so's got a terrific voice or, you know, whatever. I just feel that whatever specifically appeals to you, whatever it is, then you can admire and look up to them. I don't really want to say I admire anyone specifically, but I will say I was quite influenced when I was younger. You'd be about eight or nine. Lucille Ball. Yeah. She was a fantastic... Uh, for those that probably won't remember her, it was all black and white stuff and Desi Arnaz, or whatever you want to pronounce it, with her, her then-husband, she was the first studio head in America and she was the first woman to have six cameras. So wow. nothing had to have a retake from that person. Wow. Oh, yeah. She kind of invented mass coverage like right. that. You should do the um, Lucille Ball story, so... Yes, well, it's been done, hasn't it? And one of the other girls did it. Uh, or Sandra Dickinson. Oh, yes, at the Arts Theatre. Yep. Okay, well, we'll do a, a remail. We're planning a lot well, of shows. Good it's going to be a busy a, a, year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to get other people to be us in the shows, yeah. like the Sugar Bays. We just keep changing them. I got to meet one of my early heroes. You talk about the previous question as well, like being completely enraptured. I don't know if this is classed as theatre, but... When I was about 15, I saw Sandra Bernhard do a show at the Southbank Centre Royal Festival Hall. And I went with my sister and she said, you didn't move for the two and a half hours she was on stage. And there's a lot of Sandra in Future Queer. There's a lot of Sandra in Riot Act. I take that very American sensibility, the characters. And I had this crazy, it's a too long a story to go now. We'll need to do a whole series of podcasts. But I spent a day with her where I ended up being her little assistant one day. Wow. And it was Great. a bonkers day. Everything went wrong. You oh. could have made a movie about <laughs> the day. And then we met a few years later and we had a chat about that day. That was someone whose work I've always admired, who I got to meet. There's people like Neil Bartlett, who's an amazing queer theatre maker who's been making work since the late 70s, the 80s. Mm. And I look up to Neil, who writes, directs, performs, writes novels, writes plays, curates art festivals. And people like Ricky Beadle Blair, who I work with a lot, who's had, you know, these are the careers I'm emulating, the people who can do everything. And I think now we're a bit more open to people doing everything. But back then, sometimes I think, you know, people look down on it, like, why are you trying to do too much? But I think that's all shifted culturally. And I think oh, that's really positive. I would agree. I would agree. I suppose then... Because of that, one has to devote one's time 
properly and be disciplined about it. If you're wanting to write something one day and then you're wanting maybe to direct and it all happens kind of at once, I suppose you'd really have to be dis- and go, no, no, I can only devote so much time to this at the moment and then tomorrow I might do a bit. This. But I think you're absolutely right. I think there's no way at all why people should have to just stick to the one thing. But the trouble is, then you're in danger sometimes, aren't you, of then just mixing and matching and not really finishing anything off to a decently high standard. It's hard. Yeah, it I'm sure. It is hard to balance. You have to really sort of talk to yourself in your brain, don't you, and say, come on. Yeah, and I think not to be influenced by outside sources, not to be influenced by people telling you you can't. Yes. And yeah, discipline. Again, we're going back to the processes we have to go through. Yes. You have to be disciplined. Oh, well, I think so. Well, I mean, oh, yes, and talking about discipline. Oh. I won't tell you what happened last Wednesday <laughs> with a whip and a wardrobe. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, well, you can tell us, but maybe when we finish recording, you yeah, can't leave us hanging like that. That's a cliffhanger. <laughs> We're going to need to know, but not right now. <laughs> that's, that, that's the podcast with the age restriction on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the boozy podcast. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, it's hard to get that whip image out now. So let's talk about the experience of theatre, because you spoke about like wanting to make theatre for an audience and wanting an audience to enjoy the experience of going. And we've spoken about that magic of the theatre. But obviously, not that many people get out to the theatre. Lots of people are watching TV due to means, due to cost. And you've both worked in TV and theatre. So TV or theatre? Big question. What do you think? I didn't have to ponder too much on this personally. They've both got fantastic benefits because TV, if you're fortunate enough to be in something that's run for quite a while or even radio, you know, like what used to be Mrs. Dale's Diary in The Archers now, because it's a springboard for other stuff. So therefore, you've got TV to thank if you then are able to be in one of the headlines in a panto, for example. But TV is very, I don't know what you think, Lex, it's very instant, but sometimes it doesn't come out for five or six months. Whereas, although you've got the benefit of the audience's reactions in the studio, you've probably sometimes forgotten you've even done it. But whereas theatre you get an immediate reaction, don't you, Mm. in a way? That's what I think. So that's beneficial. And if you're in a long run, you can really sort of hone, if you like, your performances. Because David and Jimmy never used to really enjoy recording more than one take. They aimed for one take. Even if the boom was in shot, they don't care, we want the laugh. Whereas if you've got theatre, you've got, much more of a chance to say, God, I timed that wrong last night. I'm going to have to see about, you know, what... So you see, what what would you think about it? Well, you've done way more TV than I have, and I've done little roles here and there. But, yeah, I agree. Obviously, TV can really broaden your audience. And, we, of course, we see a lot of, like, young TV stars going into theatre. They're, like, leads in shows. And I love theatre. I love the response you're talking about that you get from the audience. It's interesting when you talk about TV, it's recorded and it's there forever. And obviously, you know, these classic sitcoms we're talking about, Mm. they can come back. Whereas the theatre, I guess the beauty of it, but also the sad thing is it's only there in the moment. Helen Mirren once said, uh, theatre's like carving out of ice and it will never remain. And, you know... But what you said there is actually very true. You can only repeat that same thing, like you were saying earlier. You managed to go and see Angels in America. 
luckily enough, that's still an iconic enough of a piece. So you do get the chance, as you say, very often, though, which you look back on and you think, I can't believe they called them the lost tapes. You know, they tape over a fantastic show. So, you know, and you think, oh, come on, I wonder why you did that, like the Tony Hancock and things yeah. like that. And yeah, So everything's transient, though, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Um, Maybe more so now in this age. Mm. Everything's about the moment. But yeah. also I think it's interesting with theatre. We will both have done shows that you're repeating night after night. But for me, each night genuinely is different. Mm. It has to be different because it's a different day. It's the science of it. Yes. So, okay, the show might be the same. But I always feel every night the show morphs slightly. I know you toured a solo show, Harpy, which I heard a lot about. I was really mm. disappointed to miss it, actually. Oh, it's coming out again. Well, I hope it's coming out again. Oh, yes. I love when they say we're in talks, yeah. Oh, we're in talks. Yeah. Hey. Don't you think that's fabulous? <laughs> All it is, probably, we're in talks, we're having a cup of tea, and we just discuss it. And he said, right, you've had your five minutes, that's it. But you know what I mean? You'll say that. I know someone who films themselves on their phone saying, I've just had a meeting and they're walking out the BBC building, but I know they've not been in the BBC <laughs> building. <laughs> I know. They've just got off the bus it's at all that about stop. It. And on themselves and jump back on the don't kid a kidder yes, it's all about optics well done <laughs> I know they haven't just had a meeting at the BBC yeah it that's it if whatever you hear is absolutely truthful wouldn't that be fabulous but I bet we've all done it well that's our third show together the show where you know that's like a concept of like a 50s comedy where everything is the yeah. truth yeah. wow that's deep well, yeah, imagine yeah. what life would be like if every <laughs> people only spoke the truth yeah Wow. Well, yeah. We need to get a theatre on board. We've programmed the year. Yeah, yeah. we have. <laughs> We're going to have to do international yeah. productions as well. I think that's easy. We can move on to yeah. that. <laughs> so oh, it's, exactly. I think that experience of being in the moment, though, also so much depends on the vibe of the audience, doesn't it? The mm. vibe of the other cast members. And that's what's special about theatre, I suppose, is, as you say, it changes and it reflects the mood. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes you don't know because... Perhaps one of the crew, for instance, can sort of help to make or break a moment in a show. The door jammed once, I remember, said there was no other way in but coming through the chimney. That's amazing. <laughs> I just had to say Santa's earlier this year. He sent his wife. But, I mean, anything, because you know it's live. <laughs> Oh, but God, it was I, hilarious. I was thinking the same, So oh. When something goes wrong, actually, that's another form of magic. So, like... For example, I was doing my show Riot Act at York Theatre Royal, and that's a show that's very funny but very hard-hitting about LGBT life. And I was playing the third character who lost all of his mates due to AIDS. Mm. And I have a radio mic on my face, and it went. It just went, boop, and off it went. But in that second, I felt a shift in the room, and the whole audience listened in a different way. They literally lent in, and they were like, no, we're here with you. I mean, I was able to obviously do it vocally, but from a very heightened show that's on a mic mm. for 50 minutes by that point to suddenly go off it. But you feel the energy, don't you, between the audience and the performer? You absolutely do. It's almost like they've got more support there. They're also saying to you, it's okay, we're here. We yeah. know that it's technical problems, things can happen, but you're still entertaining this, so they haven't given up on you. Yeah, and when you know. I'm, say, if, if I'm working with an actor in one of my shows or the tech person or something goes wrong and they're mortified, I go, it doesn't matter, it's theatre. Mm. That's what happens. It's not going to always be perfect. Yeah. It's live. And some people, they just love that, don't they? But, you know, I mean, I absolutely love it. Actually, it's, on the one hand, I love it, set corpses, but on the other hand, you go, 
oh, you've cheated, really. You know, you're fooling the audience. They're pretending when, to corpse. Yeah, pretending. I don't like that yeah. either. No, I'm you a, can't I, fool people. No, one great thing happened once. We were in a play and suddenly one of the characters is making someone a gin and tonic and he finds out he, the guest is, um, is having a bit of an affair with his wife. So he gets he <laughs> cuts this thing in half, this lemon, and he puts it on the end of the knife and he turns around on purpose and viciously says, I know what you've been doing. And, uh, well, of course it flew off, yeah. flew off the knife and it went down my tits. <laughs> it fell down the, uh, on the settee. I love audience oh, interaction like that. Yeah, it, well, it was just so <laughs> hilarious. You couldn't even get away and say that we all laughed his heads off. It was just so hilarious. And you tried to replicate it, you see. And it's, just, it's a very naughty way of trying to get the same big laugh. Yeah. But we managed to do it four times a week. But all the audience still say 30 years on, oh, I was there when the lemon oh. fell down your dress. So they and, think that night was real, the yes, night they saw it. Yeah, yes. they do, you see. And then you think, oh, that's a very naughty way of getting a laugh. But so many people, they do that still, don't they? Yeah. But I can see the skill in it. But equally, I mean, it was a farce. But then you still think... Oh, come on, guys. That's a cheap way of getting a laugh, to be well, honest. Well, we all do what we've got but, to do. If we've got, yeah. We do what we've got to do to yeah. get a laugh, it's you know. True. It's lemons but, down the yeah. chest. Yeah. That's interesting and, uh, about replicating, because I've sometimes tried to maybe replicate a show that something has just worked in the moment with it. People have gone crazy for it. It's just people have responded. And it's, I've been making my own theatre for about 12 years, and I've only just learned you can't always replicate that. Like... Sometimes it's just about the moment because it's theatre and you think, yeah, and you, yes. and you think, oh, that really worked at that venue. I bet it will work here. But actually, it worked better at the first venue for various reasons. Yes, because again, it's that moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So, as amazing mm. as you both are, I'm going to move us on to head first, which, as you know, is our regular question placing importance on mental health in the arts. So perhaps you can both tell us in this frenetic world, what are you currently doing for you? Go on, Sue. <laughs> I could say, you know what you do if I wanted to be really, really... Really naughty. You know, yeah, but no, it's just that... I think it's great that so many things are pointing towards trying to help yourself in the theatre and all that sort of thing in any part of the entertainment world. I think one has to be careful, though, that if one places too much emphasis, the fun idea of everything... I know you've got to help yourself, but so many people are, are not... They're almost becoming less stoical and, you know what I'm saying, relying on, well, I don't know. I mean, there's a crying room in some theatre or other now, someone told me. I mean, what's the point of having a crying room if the director says you're bloody rubbish? Actually, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Is it not for the audiences rather than the cast? Mm. No? No. Oh, okay. well, the, if it's a theatre nearby, I might go and have a cry now because yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like just getting... Is it open now? No, but you know what I'm saying, though? No. We've had chairs thrown at us mm. about 50-odd years ago, you know, obviously because he was frustrated. And then you think, well, you have to toughen yourself up a bit. I also equally do understand that you don't try and get yourself locked into situations that are going to make you more anxious. But of course, but that's self-help. So it's self-care, you know, in a way that you know you can handle but then, you know, I think it's a bit, sometimes, I wouldn't say lose my patience and I'm always there trying to sort of see if somebody's all right, you know what I mean, no, you'll be fine. You know, the arm around the shoulders and that. But I said, you're overthinking it, darling. 
this is what you've got to do. Maybe it changes each night. Don't go out every night of the week then. Have a bit more sleep sometimes. Pace you know yourself. What I'm yeah. Yeah. Yes. Find the balance. Yeah. I'm sure. But I don't think a lot of people in any job do that. No. You know what I'm saying? You have to learn how to use your stamina. Yeah that you're given but some people say don't they I'm doing yoga for example or tantric stuff and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either but you know (laughs) you look just like Bruce Willis he's smiling here he's got lovely teeth I have to tell you get his address I think you just gave us good advice though didn't you it's work out how to pace yourself and find your stamina yeah and different people can achieve different things can't they Yes, exactly. But how do you find that, darling? That what do well, you do? You know, I think what you're saying is correct. I think sometimes you do have to be quite tough in theatre because it's so hard. So I would always say to like a young person going into it, you have to be ready to take the knocks. You've got to be ready for the slog. I again, I've been making my own shows for, like I said, for about twelve years. I'm just now learning. I have to, maybe I'm getting older. I'm learning. I have to pace myself a bit more. Sometimes life gets in the way. I've had to shift a couple of things this year. We're talking about longevity. It's hard. It's hard. So if you want to survive and people do burn out and lots of people aren't in the industry for a long time. So I've learned the hard way. You do have to pace yourself. Try not to take on too much. I allocate extra time on a show now for like problems that might happen that I wasn't expecting, especially when I'm involved in producing Oh, I think that's absolutely it. The key is, I don't know, is each job you take on, it could be a voiceover, for example. And even they can be a slug, can't they, sometimes doing a two-hour cartoon or something. So therefore, you have to, I think, okay, I'm going to have to do so-and-so here. Perhaps if I get in a little bit earlier. I do think it's what time you allocate. You know, because as you say, something could happen and it's now oh, damn, I'm here too late now to go and do my sound check, for example. No, you're right, you have to understand that. Like you said, professionalism, being on time and all those things, being nice, all those things, it all helps in the long run to get the final product, which is we work on the basis we all want the final product to be as amazing as possible. Yes, and actually, and to be fair, no matter how human somebody is, everybody has their off days. Of course they do. And then people around you, hopefully, would understand and say, oh, no, they've had a lot of... But nobody, darling, I don't care who it is, wants a... Oh, God, he's coming in the room again. Oh, Crash is going to be miserable as whatever again. Now, he's going to be... Don't tell me he's had another breakdown. I mean, you know, people don't get in as much sympathy then. They want to see a bit of positivity from somebody don't they? And so what if you're the person that says, of course, darling, it'll be fine. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it might not be bloody fine at all, but you've got to live people's spirits. Often it is fine. Yes. We can all get stressed about these shows. They always work out in the end. Mm. And if you're really invested in your work, you can be overwhelmed and you just have to go, it will work out. I'll lay the groundwork. The magic will happen in the moment. Yes. As long as I'm prepared. Positive thinking and planning. Oh, yes, the PP. Oh, is that the... Yes, the Pink Podcast. Yeah, of course it is. Well, there we go. That is the perfect note to finish on. (laughs) So you're both absolutely amazing and what a duo. So thank you to Sue and Alexis for this wonderful chat. Our next episode is going to be all about cinema and the screen. Please give us a follow on at the Pink Podcast One and I look forward to having you join us for the next conversation on the Pink Podcast. Marvellous. Pink Podcast, don't forget. (laughs) 
Thanks, Chloe. Are Thanks you going soon. to say pink podcast? Pink podcast. Yeah. Find it, follow it, love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bless you.